Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Well, good afternoon, Canada. Today's date is August 12th, 2020, and it's Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How's it going, my friend? Oh, same as always. Busy, hot. Well, and, both... I'm, and, and, I'm, and I'm mad as usual, so. <laughs> so I guess we're, uh, we're, we're talking about the same as normal. Yeah. And, oh, and it's August 11th, by the way, not the 12th. Is it 11th today? Oh, whoops, it, it is. is. Yeah. My bad. I got, got a day ahead of myself. And <laughs> on a uh, demographics note, I was looking through our analytics on the weekend, and looks like we have picked up some new listeners in, of all places, Mexico. So, nope. um, in Mexico, yeah. So, I guess uh, I'd have to say, Bienvenidos a nuestros amigos en México y uh, gracias por juntarnos en, este, en nuestro podcast. Thank you for joining us, folks, and welcome. So yeah, uh, that's, a, that's another head scratcher. So, yeah, if, if our Mexican listeners could let us know why they uh, are listening to us, that would be great. Well, We'd I'm going to take a, yeah, like I'm going to take a guess that maybe it's so they can uh, get some English language listening in practice. I know that I've, uh, actually tuned into some Spanish language podcasts for that reason. And unfortunately there isn't a lot of Spanish language podcasts that I can access anyway. So uh, other than Duolingo and the odd uh, one podcast I've managed to stumble across, I could really use some more content. So uh, maybe that's why we've got some of them tuning in, but Hey, glad to have the listenership. Yep. All right. So on the show tonight, is Canada's head of state a princess? Guess what? Yet one more scandal in the Prime Minister's office. Bartis Chagger on the defensive. And schools reopening across Canada. So where do we want to start tonight, Mr. Lewis? I want to start with something that's not even on the list. Um, okay. I want to start with uh, what was just announced today down in the U.S., and oh. it, so it's not Canadian politics, it's American. Um, but uh, Joe Biden has announced that his running mate will be Kamala Harris. And, you know, that is, uh, <laughs> it, it's funny, but it's also, um, it's quite a pick. I mean, God, I got, I got so much to say about it, but at the same time, I'm almost speechless. It's, I guess as a pers- for a person like me who, likes Donald Trump, I see this as being really good for Donald Trump's re-election campaign. But I asked myself, why would he pick Kamala Harris when, during the primaries, while she was still running for the nomination, she, you know, called him out for his racist policies and, you know, insulted his his intellect and, I guess, all kinds of other dirty tactics. I'm, uh, I'm beside well, myself. As you know, um, Joe Biden is not all there. Oh, definitely not. And so, you know, as well as I do, this was not his pick. This was the DNC. Uh, there is no way he would have picked her. I mean, she, she called him a racist 
in the middle of a debate. Yeah. Um, she called him out for his support or for his uh, for his stance on forced busing back in the uh, during the civil rights movement. Um, he she like there is no way this is his pick because he does not like her and she doesn't like him. Like, I mean, Ben Shapiro put it perfectly. He said if he picks Kamala Harris to be his running mate, he better have a food taster. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, she, she not only is there that, but she also has a real tough record in California to, to defend. I mean, she, she has a, she has a history of some crooked stuff. Like when she was the, uh, 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 the attorney general for California. She was, yep. She, she, uh, she suppressed evidence in cases. This is not alleged. This is proven. She uh, suppressed evidence in cases where she knew the evidence was going to uh, show that the person that they actually convicted was not guilty. This happened. This is fact. This is not alleged. I will not add allegedly onto this. She did this. Wow. She also she also brags about when she was the attorney general that they would uh, about about the number of single parents that she ha- that they arrested and prosecuted because their kids were truant from school. Geez, that's that's real presidential material, isn't it? I mean, this is this is real stuff. This isn't like spin this isn't made up this isn't allegations this is real so she's got a record that's going to be really hard for her to defend and she's running with a guy she thinks is a racist yeah well and you know what his support for uh for the segregation like on the busing issue you were talking about is certainly going to make it hard for you know for people to say he's not a racist and there, the investigation into his son in Ukraine you know, with Burisma is just getting started. And I, I suspect it, with, there's going to be an October surprise that will involve his son, Hunter and Burisma, and his dealings in China. And, yeah, couple that with Kamala Harrison. And she's just kooky. Like, I mean, I don't mean to insult anybody in office, but she's just – she's she is one of the most radical left – Democrats out there. She supports the Green New Deal. She supports defunding the police. She's yeah, she's she's just out there. She is really really out there. She is a hard left wing uh, extremist. I mean, uh, Joe Biden was the moderate and since he has won the nomination, he's turning into an extremist. A, a left-wing extremist. And now he's got a running mate who is even further left. And the problem is, is that he, she could very well be the president before the end of the first term. And that's because 
and not just because of the investigation into his son in the Ukraine, but because he's his mental faculties are are definitely in question. And the and he also uh, he's almost 80 years old. All if he gets covid, he could die. Yeah, I mean, there's all of that. And it's also. Oh, I just lost my train of thought. And yeah, no, they, they could easily pull the 25th Amendment on him, which is what they attempted to do with Donald Trump when they said, oh, his mental state isn't right and tried to remove him with the 25th Amendment. They could yeah. seriously do that to Joe Biden because, I mean, you're right. He's not all there. I don't mean to insult the man, but he is not all there. I have actually a, a, a lot of dementia in my family, so I can actually spot that. You know, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it sort of thing. I can tell that man's faculties are not all there. And I mean, I've seen some of the signs. I mean, there's those deer in the headlights eyes that he gets every now and then. It's the losing his train of thought and then having to describe what he's talking about rather than just name the the object. Like, as in, well, you, well, you know the thing and the thing. I mean, he's well, he's in serious about, trouble. How about almost every time he speaks publicly, he doesn't know what city he's in. The, yeah, the fact that the fact that when he has um, this last this last week, I mean, he was talking about um, uh, uh, Donald Trump and his his uh, uh, cognitive test, and he was going to say something. About Don, about joking around with Donald Trump, and then stopped and said, "Oh, I shouldn't say anymore. I'm probably going to say something I, I I'm going I, I shouldn't say." And yeah, I, kept, I did, I did see then, that. And then kept going, and I was like, "Oh my god! Like this guy is, he's losing it, and it, that's not good." And I mean, here's the thing. Like you say, you like Donald Trump, and personally, I have no idea why. I mean, you've, <laughs> tried to, you've tried to explain it to me. You've tried to explain it to me, but you, your your argument doesn't even make sense to me because he's not a conservative. He is a liberal. He has always been a liberal, and he is only a conservative in name only, for, just so that he could run for president. And when, and his government spending has has gone up exponentially every year. He hasn't drained the swamp. He hasn't uh, brought in smaller government. He's expanded government. He right now he's he's subscribing to a monetary policy that's going to bankrupt the country, um, and and result in in hyperinflation. There's nothing conservative about him. And and the thing is is that. He is probably the worst president in U.S. history. And, and, and the reason I say that is because for the same reason, I say that Justin Trudeau is the worst prime minister in Canada's history because he is so divisive. The U.S. has never been this divided, not since the, the uh, Civil War. It has not been this divided, just like Canada has never been this divided. And they are two sides of the exact same coin. Those two. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually agree with most of your assessments there. But we'll get back on the Joe Biden train because I know we do have a, a a lot of Canadian stuff to get to as well. Yeah. And and Biden is 
Well, I really think that he's uh, he's in over his head, and he's actually since securing the nomination, he's taken on a lot of, and I'm 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 stealing this phrase from Sean Hannity. He's taken a lot of Bolshevik Bernie's policies on, to the point where it's almost a Bernie Sanders campaign that that, that Biden has moved so far to the left, and I don't know if it's just that you know the the people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Kamala Harris have taken the party over, or if the whole party itself has actually shifted that far left, but I just can't see this being a winning strategy. No. And, and, and uh, Bernie has actually bragged about how uh, much of his platform is now the official platform. And, oh, and he, he did, he did that in an interview uh, last week. So, I mean, the, this is, I mean, Biden wants to double the tax rate for uh, capital gains. He wants to increase uh, the corporate tax rate, I believe, by at least 50 percent. There's I mean, like he's talking about massive tax increases, which unfortunately are going to have to happen. I mean, you don't run a four or five trillion dollar deficit and not raise taxes just like here in canada you can't run you know a deficit of 400 billion dollars and not raise taxes it's going to happen yeah unfortunately that is that is going to happen yeah and i mean biden's already suggested he's going to reverse uh donald trump's tax cuts so that's going to be on middle class income earners anywhere between two and and five percent of a of an increase in the you know the restoration of the obama rates so yeah Anyway, anyways, on to Canada. On to Canada. So our, our head of state, Julie Payette, is, well, she is just a walking disaster. She so likes, She likes her privacy. She likes her privacy. That's actually where I'm going to start. There's I a, know. Of, all, <laughs> <laughs> of all places, the CBC, Ashley Mattern reported, or Ashley Burke, sorry, um, I'm surprised that the CBC was the one breaking this story. The Ms. Payette spent over a quarter million dollars of your money and my money, Canada, to design and in some place, cases implement, but she spent $140,000 of our money just on architectural designs to design a private staircase so she could go from her office uh, and sneak off to the, to the garden at Rideau Hall without being seen by the public and not just a private staircase. She actually was, had designed to make a, a private run for her cats. And you and I were going to pay for that. Yeah. And that was to, so the cats could go from the residence, uh, like the, the portion of, of Rideau hall that is her residence to the office. Yeah. yeah. And we need, we were, we were going to pay for cat doors for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, the, luckily that staircase didn't go through, but they spent $140,000 designing it. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I've, I've, I've built several houses and the architectural fees for each one of them was less than 10 grand. Like, Oh yeah. And what, what's crazy is this is this her, quote-unquote temporary residence i mean three years into her mandate she has still not moved into her official residence yet that's right yeah 
Yeah, all this money is spent on a residence she doesn't even live in. Yep. But right, when we good. always stay in this show, but there's more. Yep, there's more. You and I, Canada as taxpayers, spent $117,000 to make a series of security gates and coded doors so that Ms. Payette, the head of state for Canada, the most public figure in this country, would not have to see people, including who, Louis? Her security. Her security detail. Why would you need to see them? Well, I know. And she, like, she doesn't want to see them. And she doesn't want them to see her. So there's two new doors at, at, the, uh, at the end of the hall in both directions from her office door that remain closed at all times so that and the security stands on the other side yeah now that's i guess the biggest question i have with that is someone in a position like hers or or mr trudeau for that matter needs security for a reason so i guess i just have to ask because i can't assume these things does that mean that there's no other way in nor out from these these doors like i'm really perplexed that her security would be asked to stay out of sight yeah i don't know i mean i'm, I'm assuming that it's the only way in or out are those i have to be yeah. yeah but it's crazy it's crazy i mean how long have there been uh governor generals in this country well since for 153 years there's been governor generals so and they and they this is the first time yeah and uh i don't think that well i mean we have said all along that you know she really doesn't take this job seriously and she's just you know not very good at it and there's been an there's been some very awful governors general in our times hello adrian clarkson and yeah. i mean miss payette is just uh Either she didn't do any research whatsoever into what this job entails, or she just is that awful. Like it's, I, I have no words. She is the like the anti-governor general as far as you know her duties and her shirking of those duties. You had pointed out in one episode that she didn't even attend the governor general awards, which are right at her place, and well, yeah, they yeah. are the governor they're, general. <laughs> yeah, and they're in Rideau Hall. And yeah. She didn't even go. Yeah, that's but just. Uh, she, doesn't, she doesn't want to do the job, but I'm sure she, she likes the paycheck. I'm sure she likes the paycheck, and I'm sure she's gonna like the gold-plated pension that comes with it. But, but there's, but she doesn't want to do the job. It's obvious. Oh yeah, totally obvious. And we had talked. I'm not sure if it was on last week's show or the the prior show about how how to get rid of a governor general if they are not doing their job. And so I did a little bit of digging. And unfortunately, I can't say that word on the radio. Um, we're screwed, Canada. We're uh, the only way that the governor general can be removed is a she can be asked by the prime minister to resign and then choose to say yes or no. Should she say no? the only person who can actually remove her is the queen of England. And that's not going to happen. Wow. Yeah. And I was thinking like, okay, so she's, that's what I was afraid of. Yeah. And I mean, she's, she's 
she's baggage for Justin Trudeau, and he could make a case for asking her to resign. But at the same time, he needs her in order to dissolve parliament should he try f- to push an election this fall. And by the time he was to ask her to resign, if she did appoint a new governor general, there just wouldn't be uh, the timeline wouldn't work out. So I think we're stuck with her. That sucks, man. It totally sucks. Yep. I, I think that the next prime minister will probably have, well, at least you know, an opportunity to, to try to make changes there. But I think as far as this current regime is concerned, we are stuck with Miss Payette till, well, at least for four more years. Yeah, that's, oh, that's a bummer, man. You just, I'm, I'm sad now. Yeah, that's, uh, it, yeah, it's horrible. We have, uh, we have zero recourse to, to rid ourselves of her. So, wow. Well, I was afraid you were going to say that because I know, like, when we talked about it on the show, uh, two, what, yeah, two weeks ago, I, I was afraid. I think I said on the show that I was afraid that only the Queen of England could actually get rid of her. Yep, and sadly, that is indeed the case. Uh, bummer. All right, next. So let's talk about someone that we possibly can get rid of. Well, we can't, but this person could at least be fired. Katie Telford. Now, yes. Katie. Kitty Telford is Justin Trudeau's chief of staff, and you had pointed out to me that her husband has uh, suddenly dipped his hand in the cookie jar, as it were. Yeah, well, okay, so the timeline is that Katie Telford's husband, back in January this year, so January 2020, started as senior vice president of... uh, Oh, the name of the corporation just slipped my mind. Um, but he started as senior VP for this corporation. At the time, she asked the uh, ethics commissioner if there would be an ethics violation anywhere. And the ethics commissioner said no, that it was fine. Uh, and then COVID happened. The government tasked CMHC with uh, a program for commercial uh, rental help for businesses. Now, nobody can figure out why they gave it to CMHC, this program. CMHC has zero experience with uh, businesses and commercial rents and commercial properties. CMHC deals with residential housing. That's it. So they tasked CMHC with this program that I can't help but think they knew CMHC wouldn't be able to do. And uh, and CMHC went, oh, we can't do it. So we're going to subcontract it out and they only approached one com- like one company, and it happened to be the company that Katie Telford's husband is the senior vice president at. How about that? And now, whether or not Katie Telford had any hand in this program, or whether or not her husband 
was part of negotiations or not on the other side. In my estimation, really should have no bearing on this. The fact, just the fact that the prime minister's chief of staff is married to the senior vice president of that company should have eliminated them immediately. But again, this is something that this, this government and liberal governments of the past have all been guilty of. And that's patronizing their friends. And it's, it's, and you're right. I mean, this pattern repeats itself over and over again. And, and, you and I both thought Jean Chrétien was awful for this, and he was. I mean, look at that golf course at Schwinnigan. I mean, there's being there's countless examples of Jean Chrétien, and you know, did the pork barrel. But in five short years, the Trudeau government has looked at Chrétien's record and just said, "Hold my beer," and yeah, it's it's embarrassing. It's more than embarrassing. I mean, this is I. It's absolutely maddening because I don't understand how my fellow Canadians can keep supporting this guy. I don't know how my fellow Canadians can keep supporting this Liberal Party. I mean, this is the most corrupt government in the history of Canada. And most Canadians are just going, "Eh, oh, well, what are you going to do? Well, yeah, and it's like we could really equate these guys to a mafia. Because they are so corrupt, they spread all the money around with their their friends and associates, and here we are, dumb Canadians, giving half of our income to them as protection money, and we're not getting getting value for our dollars. But like you say, what the hell, Canada? Why do you keep voting liberal? Like, uh, even if you hate the conservatives, and a lot of people do, and I don't understand why, but that's because I am a conservative, I guess. But even if you hate the conservatives, how can they see, how can people possibly look at the Liberal Party as being the only alternative? Like, I just, it blows my mind. It's like, we're okay with corruption as long as they, you know, don't cut our taxes. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm at a complete loss. Like, I have no idea what's wrong with people. I mean, this, this, this prime minister just keeps thumbing his nose at at Canadians, at taxpayers, at at the ethics rules, at you know proper decorum. I mean, not not only that, he's using he's using things that you should never even be used. In creating legislation, like an ordering council, that should never be used to create legislation. Like, it's not constitutional. Nope, that's right. See, I almost think sometimes that, I mean, because the Liberal Party is always, always being called the natural governing party, I think they they attract talent who just sees, you know, the, an opportunity to get into power by joining the Liberal Party of Canada. And I'm going to use that to segue into uh, something that you brought to my attention this morning that actually blew me away, was that the PMO has found themselves a new advisor to help on the recovery plan. That's right. And it happens to be none other than the only 
uh, person to ever be the head of two federal banks, like national banks, uh, in the G7. He was he's the former head of the uh, of the uh, Royal Mint in or the Royal Bank in uh, uh, England, and he's also the former head of the Bank of Canada, and that is Mark Carney. And you know, I had a ton of respect for Mark Carney during the Great Recession in 2008 and 2009 because he actually had drafted some monetary policy along with uh, with the Stephen Harper government, and thank God we had them at that time, to, uh, to help Canada's economy and help us steer us through that recession. But when you had mentioned to me this morning that he's now advising the Trudeau government, I... Uh, well, I mean, I was stunned for about 15 minutes, and then I decided that maybe here, maybe this is opportunism, because his name had actually been touted as someone who might be a star candidate for the Liberals now that his tenure with the Bank of England is done. And I just thought, not you, too. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, see, I don't know. I would have to hear from him, because he's not part, as far as I know, he's not part of the party. Um, I don't believe he is, no. So, if he is acting strictly as uh, like a, a consultant, an advisor on policy for getting through this recovery, then good. Because you want people who know what the hell they're talking about to be advising someone who doesn't know what the hell he's doing on what to do. So that. I would be very, I'm very happy that someone who's smarter than the prime minister, which is 97% of the country um, easily is, is advising him on what to do because he doesn't know what he's doing and neither does our finance minister. So if Mark Carney can help out with that, great. That that's awesome because as much as I, I despise Trudeau and Bill Morneau, I do not want them to fail at their job because if they fail at their job, it means Canada is going is in deep, deep shit. And, and that's bad for all of us. So I want them to succeed in putting forth the, 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 the proper policies and, and that to get us recovered. But if he's doing this because it's going to, lead to him getting the nomination in, say, York Center, which is open now. Uh, yeah, that's true. Then I have lost a lot of respect for him because he, because you, someone as smart as him should not be joining a corrupt party and a corrupt government that is openly corrupt and admittedly corrupt. No, you're right. I mean, and I probably misspoke when I suggest, when I talked about him drafting policies with Stephen Harper's government, Mark Carney was probably not to my knowledge, ever a member of any political party. So I don't know his politics. I don't know if he's a conservative or if he's a liberal, he's smart and he certainly ran a very tight ship like a conservative would, but like you, I mean, if, if he is cynical enough where he would agree to this consultation rule, 
in exchange for uh, you know an uncontested nomination in some safe liberal riding, I will absolutely throw my hands up. I mean, it's uh, I mean that, that will just continue the kind of corruption and BS that we've been seeing from this government for five years. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's and because if they can if they can uh, attract star power like that, then they'll they'll be in government forever like i because i just don't i don't i just don't know what the hell they have to do to lose support i don't know what the hell they have to do to uh get kicked in the teeth which is what that party deserves they yeah they totally do now you and i had a discussion last week about how bill morneau was you know or, or i should say justin trudeau was distancing himself from bill morneau he has since come out and says oh bill morneau has my full support the other name that i mentioned uh, whom justin trudeau has not declared his full support for was bartis chagger and she um well she stepped on her own tongue and uh talking with Pierre Polyev today and I believe it was a finance committee hearing about our favorite charity the uh, the Wee scandal so so I don't know if you heard about this one but it was uh, but I was watching some of the back and forth and she was at least trying to answer Pierre Polyev's questions to a degree but he had caught her once and, and she of course was trying to stick with the timeline that that they've been told and so he said okay april 22nd was when this program was announced may 5th we started spending money and he so he asked her if she was involved in this meeting and yes she was and but she opened you know, but i wasn't interested in their proposal is what she said so then pierre polyev is he's so smart i love this guy so he says well did you take any notes yes i did I mean, but it would have been just you know to uh make a note to my staff to to follow up on this proposal said but a proposal you said you weren't interested in why why would you want them to follow up on that <laughs> and of course she uh then she starts oh he's putting words in my mouth it's like well he actually put your own words in your mouth dum-dum and furthermore she admitted that we has not paid back any of the money that they were fronted by by you and i the taxpayer when this whole program started oh really yeah isn't that interesting that's very interesting. I mean, that's, they said, we even said that they were going to return all the money that they were given. Well, and it's, you said they were fronted, was it 20 something million dollars or 30 some million? It was a lot of money. Uh, 30 million on May 5th. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know what? We, I'd like that back, please. Yeah. This, like, is, this is bad. I mean, we, the the whole future of we is actually uh, uh, dubious at best. Uh, so the whether we ever see that money again is probably not good. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a little concerned that that's going to be you know yet more money that just disappears into the vacuum and. That's just indicative of this government. I mean, we keep going back to that, but I mean, this is just one more glaring example of Trudeau corruption. I mean, Ms. Chagger had said that she was, that, that meeting that she was in, that Pierre Polyev was questioning her about, was with one of the Kielberger brothers. And it's just, oh, how do I put this? They all know each other. It's like it's just like nepotism central in Ottawa right now, and it, yeah. even more so than normal. Like, it, 
Yeah. Oh, and, just, and, and I mean, and the thing is, is that it's not even so much uh, uh, their, their, their corruption. It's just their blatant disregard for taxpayer dollars. Like, I think, they, they I just, think that's what it is. They just have no respect for the taxpayer. None. Well, it's almost like they just, they don't even care. It's just like, you know, yeah, we blew a bunch of your money. So what? Oops. And then uh, it's like, you know, Trudeau's got his script first. It's like, well, just say, yep, I was trying to, you know, stand up for Canadians and oops, I didn't realize that was wrong. And well, okay. I realized it was wrong, but I was fighting for Canadian jobs. And then yeah, it's like, okay, you know what? That script is getting really, really old. Yeah, but unfortunately, it's still working, and um, and that's what I don't get. No, God. no, I don't, I don't get it either. I mean, it's it's. Uh, oh, speaking of 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 the Trudeau government not supporting someone like Bartish Chagger, they mm. also they also, when questioned, would not commit to supporting Julie Payette. So, um, Christia Freeland said. We support the office. And, that, and I did said, hear that. Yeah. Yeah. She would not say that they supported Julie Payette. They would only say that they supported the office of Governor General. That's right. Yeah. Because it was, uh, I believe it was Power and Politics on Friday when they had uh, Monsieur Champagne on. And yeah, he would say the same thing. Like he he was almost running away from the question when uh, that lady. I can't remember the lady's name because she was filling in for uh, Ravachi Capellos. Anyway, he he was running away from the question when she would ask him, do you support the governor general? And yeah, same thing. He was just using that same line as as Christian Freelands. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So last topic I want to touch on here is different provinces are talking about reopening schools now. Now, Lewis, who lives in British Columbia, is one of the luckiest Canadians in the country because your chief medical health officer just happens to be Dr. Bonnie Henry. Now, for those Canadians who don't know her name, you all should, because she has taken exactly one day off of work since this whole pandemic started. She has been asked to speak at different conferences or or different COVID meetings across the world, and she's called upon by national governments everywhere for her advice because of how British Columbia has handled the pandemic. And she has advised British Columbia schools that wearing masks should not be mandatory for students. And that's been causing just a a few ruffled feathers. Yeah, well, see, the thing is, is that Dr. Bonnie Henry, uh, I mean, Aside from being an absolute rock star in my province, like I'm not kidding, she is. She's a, she's a oh, yeah. rock star here. Uh, I mean, there's there's special edition shoes uh, that have been made uh, in with her name on them. Like wow, like, oh yeah, like and they're and they're like three hundred. Oh, I think they were three hundred dollars a pair. Like they're <laughs> by, by a famous Vancouver designer. Like she's she's a rock star here. But for good reason. I mean, she she's the doctor who was in charge of Toronto's uh, SARS, uh, like the fight uh, uh, against SARS. Uh, she was in charge of like the H one N one 
crisis back in 2009. She, she is highly, highly respected and regarded around the world as being a, uh, an epidemic or pandemic expert. And she's been doing an amazing job here in BC. Uh, we, uh, and yes, she's saying this face masks should not be mandatory in schools in September. And for good reason, there is no scientific proof or evidence of any kind that wearing masks actually stops the spread. No, that's right. I mean, they've been a placebo at best. And there's also very little scientific evidence. Actually, there's no scientific evidence to back up that the cohort of zero to 19 year olds are the more contagious of our citizens. We all know that this is primarily an older person's disease and even more so a disease that affects people who have pre-existing conditions. Kids are not the problem here. So to force kids to wear masks when a lot of them are uncomfortable doing so and a lot of them just won't is, well, I mean, it's like pushing a rope up a hill. Yeah, well, and I'll be honest, like my wife and I have actually considered uh, signing our son up for for, uh, homeschool in the fall if they're going to make mask wearing mandatory if they're going to make uh, if they're going to put dividers up between the desks uh which we've seen in other countries if they're going to do all that stuff then we're just going to sign them up for homeschooling because the kids are going to absolutely hate it it's going to be miserable for them and i mean kids are already suffering like with their mental health because of all this, because humans and kids especially are, are uh, social beings and need, they need that contact and that, and that uh, uh, social aspect of school. They, they need it. And if you're going to take it away and, they're going to be able to see their friends but not play with them or see their friends and not hug them or or anything like that it's it's going to be really really damaging and i mean we've talked about this before on the show just the increase from like july last year to July this year, just the increase in uh, drug overdose deaths in BC for that one month of July, from last year in July, is more than all of BC's COVID deaths put together from all six months. And, And that is just for the month of July. Then you've got You've got April, you've got May, June, July, and now August, right? Where the numbers are skyrocketing, and that's just for drug overdose deaths. Never mind suicides, never mind any of the other uh, uh, aspects of mental health uh, damaging people's lives. And 
I mean, the deaths are so high, it's ridiculous. And the cure is definitely worse than the disease. Well, it is in this case, especially if you uh, if you allow bureaucrats to be in charge. And then I'm afraid that's what's going on. I mean, uh, Ontario has at least some different ideas, and Saskatchewan had really no plan. It was just, uh, okay, go back to school until the public got involved and started making some phone calls. But under the Ontario plan, they were looking at crunching semesters into three months instead of the the regular five months, and then they would rotate students through with some longer school days. And I thought, okay, that's not the answer because we already know optimum learning time is usually between 45 and 50 minutes, which is why classes are designed that way. So you're just going to end up having a bunch of bored students tuning out. And there have been all kinds of plans to make masks optional, and some people want them mandatory. And they really got to, as much as I hate to sound like a leftist, they got to follow the science here. And like Dr. Henry says, there is no proof that masks are the answer. In fact, I think they probably are, are more intimidating than anything else for the younger ones. Yeah, well, and that's where and that's where I really like what Dr. Henry says and how she handles things because she says we have to follow the science. And this is kind of in opposition to Dr. Tam, who's Canada's chief medical officer, who just parrots whatever the, the WHO says. Um, but she, but Dr. Bonnie Henry, she she actually follows the science and she is not afraid to say something that's unpopular if it's true. And it's like, like you said, you don't want to sound like a leftist, but the problem with the leftists is that they say, you can't deny science unless it disagrees with their dogma. And that's right. And then they completely dismiss science. Um, And whether it's gender, whether it's COVID, because if you follow the science of COVID, kids are not dying. No, none of, no, they're not, not at all. Yeah. Statistically, they are not dying. I mean, there is the occasional child that dies, but they, it's because they had a pre-existing condition. And those kids, protect them. Keep them home. Homeschool them. Whatever you got to do, protect them. But the rest of the kids, the other 99.99% that will not die and or will most likely won't even show any symptoms, send them to school. They're the least, they're the least affected by this. Yep. Well, you're, 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 you're singing to me right now. This is music to my ears. And, of course, you know what the leftists are going to say. Well, even one death is too many. And you say, well, yes, certainly it is. But, I mean, and I've said this before. I mean, we assess risk every single day. We assess risk of, I jump in my car to go to work, I'm, I'm take, taking a risk because I could be killed in a traffic accident. You hop on a flight to go on a holiday, you're assessing your risk of, of you know, what chances are there of a plane crash. You know, I'm assessing a risk of walking to the convenience store after dark because, well, what if I get mugged? I mean, every single day we assess risks. And this risk, sending your kids to school, 
is probably one of the absolute safest bets that we as a society can can bet on. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, anyway, Canada, on that note, we'll, uh, we'll wrap the show up here. We've hit our time. So, uh, send your kids to school, Canada, send your kids to school. Um, it's going to be way better for their mental health and you've got a better chance of them thriving. If you let them see their friends and just, as you said, just send them to bloody school. Yes. Send them to bloody school, Canada. That's right. All right. And t- until next week, thank you for joining us. It's uh, Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night, Canada. Good night. <laughs>